Before we get started, I have an important message. If you're on Medicare or about to be, you don't want to go it alone. And you don't want to just call the first guy who sends you a postcard. My husband did that, and he wound up with some bad advice that costs us a penalty each month that will never go away. So what can you do? Contact one of our member experts by going to certifiedmedicareagents.com and searching your state for an agent. You'll be able to look through our member agents and read about them. Then you can reach out to the agent or broker you select directly through the site. Now, one thing you should know is other sites who do this sell your information to 15 or more agents so you can get hundreds of unwanted phone calls. Not so with CertifiedMedicareAgents.com. You'll only be contacted by one agent, and if there is a problem, I may personally reach out to you, but generally you will only hear from the one agent you select. So head on over there right now before you forget and find a qualified and certified agent that can help you today. Now, let's start our program. Welcome back to the Rock Your Retirement Show. I'm Kathy Klein, your host of the show, and today we have something different for you. Steve Lopez is here to talk about Independence Day, what I learned about retirement from some who've done it and some who never will. Steve, thank you so much for coming. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward. Well, tell me a little bit about the book you wrote. Tell me what made you write this book. Okay, I'll tell you what made me write this book. As we speak, this is the year in which I will turn 70. And I've been doing what I do for roughly half a century. And I feel really lucky and privileged to be one of those people who who loves their work. I mean, I, I've had um, like a license uh, all these decades to drop in on people's lives and sit with them and learn from them and write stories and hopefully shine a light on what people are up to and the challenges, the triumphs, the disappointments of of daily life. And that's been the kind of column that I've written. And I love it. I really do love it. But I started to think, you know what? Is that all I'm going to do? Are, are there other things that I should consider doing in the time that I have left? And what if I become one of those people who waits a little too long? And then when I finally retire, I don't have the health to do the kinds of things I thought I might want to do. In my case, travel and learn language and music and food and uh, more time with family. I just got a little bit worried that I was running out of time to do those other things. So I thought, well, why don't I do what I have been doing all these years? I'll interview people. I'll go and sit with people who are happily retired and miserably retired, can't wait to retire, wish they hadn't retired, and go to school on their experiences and give myself a year to come up with a decision. So that's that's what I did. It started on 4th of July, um, 2020, as the pandemic was was uh, was getting started, and it and I finished it a year later on Independence Day, which is which gives you the name of the book, what I learned about retirement 
from some who've done it and some who never will. Well, it sounds like you and I have a lot in common, Steve. After all, that's the whole reason why I started the Rocky Retirement Show, because I have the same issue. I love what I do. But on the other hand, I knew that I'm probably going to want to retire someday. So how do I do it? And when I started this show, it was really more like an encyclopedia. I would interview people on different topics, such as, I don't know, what to do when it's time to put mom in an assisted living facility. You know, what about sex at retirement as you get older? Lots of different things. And then over time, this show has evolved. And now it only comes out once a month now because I'm off doing more fun things and less work more fun. So it sounds like you and I are kind of on the same page, but I am still still working. And still enjoying it, it looks like. Yeah, I still enjoy what I do. Um, definitely cutting back, though. I live in a 55 and older community, and so there's lots and lots and lots to do here. You probably have never heard the show, but for the listeners, I lived in San Diego and moved all the way across the country to South Carolina. And now I, I live in one of the largest, not the largest, but one of the largest 55 and older communities in the United States. You didn't start in California, did you? I heard something in your, do I hear Philadelphia in your accent? Not me. I've never lived in, in fact, this is the first time I've ever lived on the East Coast. I've always been a uh, West Coast girl. Alaska, Washington, and California. California, the most, the majority of my life. Well, I'm I'm from California originally, but I lived in Philadelphia for many years, and then New York. I'm back in I'm back in California now, and I got to tell you that <clears throat> a couple of other considerations for me in writing this book. Uh, number one, I had had and still have some health problems, and that's another reason I was a little bit concerned. Was I on the same you know, um, healthcare calendar as my parents. Um, if so, that's not a good calendar to be on. Um, and it means that physical problems will be followed by cognitive issues. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't take so long to, to, to finally have that, you know, do that trip around the world that I didn't remember my wife's name. Um, so there was that. And there was, there's another consideration though, that, that, um, would be of particular interest maybe to you and your listeners. Um, there are a lot of books about how to know when to retire financially. And I know nothing about money. I'm an ignoramus. I got to tell you, I am not kidding. Um, and I thought, well, but there's the spiritual side of retirement. There's the identity part of it. There's when you leave the job that you do, whether you like it or not, um, whether you're a nurse, a teacher, a police officer, um, whatever you do, so much of your identity is caught up in that work that you do. And when you leave, who do you become? Um, if you walk out of that person that you are and try to, you know, draw up a new one, who might it be? And so I wanted to wrestle with that as well, because I think for a lot of people, um, retirement is is an identity issue. And a lot of people who really enjoy their work struggle to create a new identity. Not only do I love my work, but I feel like I'm contributing to a conversation about, you know, civic affairs and, and people's lives and no longer having that forum scared me a little bit. So I really wanted to examine not just retirement, but work. What is the meaning of work? What is the meaning of identity? Who are we? 
and who else can we become? Those were all things that I wanted to, to explore. But the money part, I don't know. I think financial consideration is number one for people when they consider retirement. You would know better than I. And I frankly do not know whether I'm going to be okay in retirement, financially speaking. And that's partly because I don't know if I'm going to live 20 days or 20 years or somewhere in between. And I don't know if, um, the you know, an earthquake is, is coming at me tomorrow. Um, I don't know if healthcare problems will pile up, even if I've taken your advice on supplemental Medicare insurance. <laughs> so there are so many variables that were difficult for me to work through in this book to determine when and how to retire. It's true. There are a lot. And it's not just financial, but financial is a big part of it, which we, by the way, don't really talk about on this show. For the listeners who are new to the show, I'm a retired financial advisor. And when I started this show, I didn't want to talk about money. <laughs> and so we don't. But you're right. That is a big consideration. But a lot of it is, as you said, what about the person who was high powered, um, you know, had their own their own business or who was a Pulitzer winning author? You know, what about you? Now your whole identity is wrapped up in what you do. And so when you no longer do what you do, who are you? And yeah. A lot of us have problems with that. Well, <clears throat> I understand that. And, um, you know, among the people I went to um, in researching this book, um, I went to see a rabbi named Naomi Levy. And her advice was, if you've got in your head what you think you want to do post-work and who you think you'll be in retirement, it might be wise if you can carve out the time to sample the dream, to take an extended vacation, to maybe go on a sabbatical and learn to fly airplanes if that's your dream, or how to make rugs, or you know, find a way to volunteer for a charity that you really care about. So find out if that's going to create a new you, a new sense of purpose, something to get you out of bed. And, you know, uh, that's your new identity. That's your chapter two. So I thought that that was really good advice. If at all possible, sample the dream. And then the other great piece of advice I got from my interviews for the, for the book, there's a priest by the name of Father Greg Boyle, who has spent the last, well, he's a Jesuit priest. He has been for 50 years. For the last 30, he's run this operation in L.A. that that resurrects the lives of young men and women who've gotten into trouble, gotten into gangs, did some jail or prison time, and they want to climb out and create a new identity for themselves. And I went to Father Greg, who's my age, and he's been doing what he does the same amount of time that I've been doing what I do. And he was kind of surprised when I said that I was thinking of retiring. He said, you know, you're, you're involved in a conversation about uh, you know, important, relevant things. People want to hear what you have to say. And what you need to think about if you're leaving that is to go where life is and to do what replenishes you. And I've still got those words ringing in my head. I think that's great advice for anybody trying to make a decision here. And that's maybe the best information in this roadmap that I think I've written for people contemplating a big change whether it's work or whether it's post-work, go where life is and do what replenishes you. So what are you doing now differently than you did before you wrote the book? 
Well, I'm following you. I'm following your. <laughs> yeah, you're. I guess you're my. I didn't even know it, but you maybe were my life coach. So here's <laughs> here's what I did. One of the people I interviewed, I, I wanted to interview a couple of people who are in their 90s and still working, and they're in creative fields. And I thought maybe I'm cursed. Maybe as somebody who stares at a blank page and has to fill it up with something, does a kind of work that you can't ever really leave. You, you, you're curious, you make observations, and you're wired to write down your observations. So am I fooling myself into thinking that I could ever really retire? So I called Mel Brooks. They're the Hollywood legend who um, has produced and directed and acted in films and is still working in his mid-90s. And I called Norman Lear, now 100 years old, still working as hard as ever. And I asked their advice, and Mel Brooks said, so let me, let me see if I've got this right, Steve. You really love your job. You like writing. You like meeting people. I said, yes, I do. I still enjoy all of that. And he said, but you got all these other things you want to do. You want to live in Barcelona, and you're going to you know, become a flamenco dancer or whatever the heck you think you're going to do, and you don't have time to do that because you're working. And I said, yeah, that's right. And he said, well, why don't you go to your editors, your bosses, and say, you know, I like what I do. Thank you very much. But I want to do it less. I want to spend less time at work and more time at recess. And you need to go with the hybrid plan. And that's what I did. I went to my editors and I said, look, I'm getting up there in years. I want to try some other things, but I don't want to let this go. I really I really am grateful for the opportunity to share my thoughts with readers I feel privileged. Can I cut back? And they said, how much you want to cut back? And I was thinking at the time, maybe go to halftime. And then I thought, you know what? I still don't have the financial part figured out. Maybe I can't afford to go halftime. So let me make it three quarters. So that's what I did. And they agreed. So I now um, get paid. I took a 25% pay cut and a 25% work cut. So I now have three months off, 12 weeks a year. Uh, to take them when I want to take them. I could take a three-month block. I could take one week, a month, whatever I want to do. And so that's where I am. And I've been doing that the last 18 months. And I like it. I think it's pretty good. Okay. So you've got this time off, but what are you doing with your time? There's oh my goodness. taking time off. And then there's, what are you doing? Have you added anything to what you do, any any hobbies other than travel? Because I know travel can take up a lot of time, but other than travel, what have you added? You've subtracted. Well, what have you added? Okay, but let me let me make a note though about travel. That's a good point you make. But um, when I was spending that year figuring out what to do, it was the same year that was my daughter's last year at home before going off to college, and I feared facing the double void, if I retired, of not having a job to report to and being an empty nester. And I'm a weakling. I didn't know if I could handle the the psychological, um, you know, um, challenges there, the emotional challenge of uh, being an empty nester and not having anywhere to go. And my daughter did end up going off to college in Ohio. Now I'm in California. And she's a, she's a college athlete. She's a student first, but she's an athlete and she plays tennis. And so I've used a lot of my new found spare time 
to fly back to the Midwest to watch her her tennis team play. So that's been very rewarding. The other thing that I've I've been doing is that let me tell you as I look around the room that I'm in right now, I'm speaking to you in the company of three guitars. And one of the things I had on my list of things I wanted to do and didn't have the time for when I was working was to finally learn how to play the guitar. And I went out into the garage and I dusted off a guitar that I hadn't played in 10 or 20 years. And I started YouTubing lessons and talking to guitar players. And I play the guitar an hour or two every day. And I have for more than a year. So it's something I always wanted to do. And now with my new hybrid schedule, I'm able to do it and I'm loving it. I'm loving it even though at my age, I don't think any band would have me. I don't think anybody, even loved ones, would want to hear me play anything on the guitar. But I'm just enjoying the hell out of it. I'm having a good time. You know, I did something similar. I started drawing. I started doing art again. And it's interesting because, you know, you, you do it for yourself, right? And you're learning how to do it. And it hadn't I hadn't picked up a pencil. I, I have a self-portrait in my bedroom and that was the last thing I think I've ever drawn. It was 1999. Wow. So you can do the math. It's been a significant amount of time. And when I first started, I was really frustrated because it was so bad. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't do a portrait. I couldn't do anything. And so I switched modes to um, colored pencils and it's a completely different type of art. You can do ultra realism. I'll be probably dropping that type of art in a little bit, but I just wanted to be able to do something realistic before I moved on. And I sold my first piece a couple of uh, oh my couple goodness. months ago. I know I was. It's insane. It wasn't much, but it's funny that I totally just put a price on it when we had an art show here on on campus. I call it, and somebody bought it. <laughs> it you know, well, my goodness, you are Exhibit A of how people can reimagine their lives after you know after work. I mean, there there's so many chapters to explore and so much reinvention that that can take place you just have to be willing to uh, take risks i thought i'm never going to be any good at this guitar and i probably never will be but i'm enjoying it i'm getting something out of it it's therapeutic and it sounds like the art has been a great move for you i i I just think that people have to be open to you've got to embrace ambiguity as one of the characters in my book says, because you don't know what's coming next. And in retirement, you have the same wins and losses that you have pre-retirement. But you've got to embrace new possibilities, and you've got to stay alive, and you've got to find something to get you out of bed and take you where life is, as Father Greg says, and, and do what replenishes you. It sounds like for you, you found it. Well, you as well. And for the listener who is listening because they haven't retired yet, Steve and I are living proof that you can start while you're still working. You can start. And the young people call it quietly quitting. That's where they, you can Google it, but they just kind of still go to work, but they, (laughs) but they aren't really working. That's not really what Steve and I are doing. We are making room for things in our lives that are not working. 
while still working, but making room for things you've always wanted to do. Because let's face it, after the last few years of COVID, we don't know what our future has to bring. I do think that COVID sort of put in the forefront in a lot of people's minds what they wanted to do when they grew up. You know, what do you want to do with your life? And yeah. that's that's what we're all doing. We're Thank goodness we're not in the crisis that we had a few years ago, but yeah. it's just like 9-11, it will always be there with us. 9-11 changed our lives forever, and I think COVID did too. So here we are uh, thinking about what we're going to do when we grow up. We're, we're finally growing up, Steve. You know what? I think you and I need to take this show on the road. So <laughs> we, I, I, think, I think this could work. So we, we fill an auditorium with people. You talk about these retirement issues. You interview me. I interview you because I'm usually on the other end of this. <laughs> I'm even more, I'm more, more comfortable on the other end of this. And then you paint while I play the guitar. <laughs> and then it's a 10 minute Q and A and on to the next city on the tour. <laughs> we can print, we can print the t-shirts now. We, we could. Yeah. So listeners stay tuned. <laughs> We'll have to work that out. But that would be considered work, right? So that'd be adding uh, more work-related activities. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds more fun than like work. To it does sound fun. It does sound fun. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's good to add, you know. So what else did you learn in your quest for writing this book while you wrote it or while you were researching? You've already changed your life somewhat. What else is is different? Well, I'll tell you, um, you were talking about the pandemic um, and how it has changed things. Um, one thing it did um, that was a big change in my life was that after 50 years of going to an office most days of the week, um, I was working out of my house. And my wife is a freelance writer and editor who also works out of the house. And we are not living in a 12-room Malibu Beach compound. We're living in a two-bedroom house. It's comfortable, but when two people are working in it and there's not really an office, you can run into problems, let me tell you. So here I am at home, and for me it was, you know, wow, this is great. I said to my wife one day, you know, be, me being home this much is like a preview of my retirement. And she said, if this is a preview, I don't want to see the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> she said, I need my space. I'm doing my work, and you need to learn in retirement that I'm not your your little play date every day. We're not going to go off and do things every day. I'm a little younger than you. I've got my own work, my own friends, my own life. And you need to develop a life outside of work. And so that's something that I've discovered um, in the in the time that I was researching the book, in the time that I was struggling with uh, the pandemic, that I haven't, I've, I've worked so many hours and for so many years, I neglected. I neglected things. I have a lot of good friends, but um, I've moved around a lot and some of them are in, you know, across the country. And I really hadn't nurtured a life outside of work and family. And I found that it's something I really need to do. And one of the people in my book, Nancy Schlossberg, who's in her 90s in Florida, said, you know, you've got to every every relationship will change when you retire or when your cha your schedule changes in a big way. And I hadn't I hadn't given that much consideration, but 
your relationship with your friends change, your your connection to the world changes if you no longer have an opportunity to write about, you know, what's going on in the world. And so that's something I've learned that that retirement or semi-retirement, if you could call what I'm doing semi-retirement, is a big transition. You need to think it through. You need to have something of a plan, but you also need to roll, you know, what's coming at you and embrace ambiguity. That was who told me that I needed to learn to embrace ambiguity. It was Nancy Slossberg in Florida, and it was good advice. Have you reached out to any of your friends to strengthen those connections? I have. I have. I'm, I'm doing a better job of that. I'm doing a better job of, um, in my spare time, if I'm not playing the guitar, um, I'm checking in with a friend. Hey, let's do this. Let's do that. And I'm rebuilding uh, friendships that, that were neglected for a long time because I was either too busy with work or in a different part of the country. Um, in fact, I had a trip to Florida to watch my daughter play tennis. And I had three friends, longtime friends living in Florida now. And I made a point to on that same trip was some of my extra time off. I went and saw every one of them. And That's um, great. kind of, yeah, rekindled those friendships and yeah, the people who are important to you and have been important in your life, those are valuable, valuable connections. And I'm working harder to to keep people, you know, a little bit closer to me. I think that's one of the things that I've learned in all the interviews and in running this show is that things do change once you retire. And one of those things is your it can be your your relationship with your spouse or your significant other if you have one. After retirement, there's there's a spike in divorce rates. And they call it the silver, I forget what they call it, but it's a spike in divorce rates. And that was another reason why I started this show, because I wanted to help people understand and prepare so that you didn't get on each other's nerves as often, you know, after yeah. retirement. And my husband and I are lucky because we when we bought our house, we made sure that there were two offices. And so I took a bedroom and turned it into an office and he took the den, which came with the house. And it, it's a fairly good sized house for where we live. And so we, we're we much more able to make it work because we can get away from each other. Unlike, you know, like you with a two bedroom house, it's much more difficult in a, in a small house to have that yeah. personal space. Well, if you have a third room, I'd be happy to rent it from you. <laughs> We do. It's a little bit far from where you live, though. We we do have a guest room. So we, like I said, we were lucky. And of course, it's a lot less expensive. Your house is a lot less expensive in South Carolina than it is in, in Los Angeles. But there are more things that are more expensive, I I feel. You know, we, even though we have the cheap gas here, <laughs> you know, yeah. food, for example, seems to be just everyday food at the grocery store seems to be more expensive. Although I am comparing it to pre-COVID rates. So it, it could be just as expensive in San Diego as it as it is here now, in my opinion, you know, because I don't know, yeah. I haven't lived there in four years. You know, I do get nervous when I often, I, I, I love to shop and cook. I've been shocked at some of the prices for staples at the supermarket. And what I've thought about that is that when I'm fully retired, and there probably will be a day when I am, I'm going to be living in constant panic because I'm one of those people who, if, 
if you've got you know the picture eye one eye on the nest egg and the other eye on the cashier ringing up your groceries and you don't have any anticipated income in the near future or or possibly the rest of your life i don't know that i'm going to be somebody who handles very well watching the nest egg shrink um, because it's like I, I fear it's going to feel like watching my life shrink away and i don't know can you help me with that i, th I feel like i need to get some. it can be tough you know i don't know if you've picked a financial advisor yet but it it can be tough you know uh, that is one reason. It's not the reason why my husband and I moved away from California, but that is a reason. You take the money that, I don't know if you own your house or if you rent it, but a lot of people take all that money they earned on their house and move to a, a state where housing is less expensive. Yeah. Of course, then you have the culture shock of that move, you know, going from a place like California, which for the listener, you probably have your own preconception of what California is like to a place that is not California, you know, where the laws are different and the culture is different. And it can take a while. And I've also had on this show people who left the country because yeah. in other countries, it can be a lot more affordable to live on social security as a hundred percent of your income. Whereas in the United States, it's very, very difficult for people who haven't saved a lot to live on between a thousand and three thousand dollars a month, which is sort of the average what what I've heard people are getting from social security. So yeah, I mean, absolutely, money is a big issue on whether or not you want to retire or can retire. For me, I have money saved, but I'm only fifty seven. And I'm thinking, wow, look at the inflation. Look at the stock market. You know, right. look at medical costs. What am I going to do? So, yeah, it's definitely a consideration. It's a consideration and a difficult thing to work through because you just don't know how long you have. I didn't take Social Security. I haven't taken it because my thinking has, has been, I'm working. I have an income. I don't need it right now. So wait until I can maximize it. But, you know, the actuarial tables, um, they've figured that out. Unless I live past 84 or whatever, it means I've left money on the table by not drawing earlier. And you just don't know these things. It's it's I, I have no idea. Um, I've got I've got health issues. I've got, um, you know, I went into cardiac arrest and had to be resuscitated 10 years ago. Wow. I've got a pacemaker. I've got atrial fibrillation. Um, I've got you know, two knee replacements and aches and pains. And you just don't know. You just don't know what what it's going to be like. I, I don't know what it's going to be like next week, uh, let alone next decade. And so financial planning is really difficult. I mean, it's um, and so many people that I encounter in my work as a columnist aren't even able to contemplate retirement because, especially in California, as you mentioned, housing costs are so high and wages not necessarily. So I'm kind of privileged to even be in a position to consider consider retirement. And I think we're facing a national crisis because as we continue to age, as that wave crests, we have more and more people who don't have enough savings. They've worked hard, but don't have financial security. And we also have a projected huge shortage of healthcare workers 
to care for this this growing um, population of elderly people. So I, I think that um, it's it's as my mother once said, the golden years are not necessarily so golden. And I think, unfortunately, um, a lot of people who are struggling financially and aging at the same time are in for some real struggles. And um, I, I, in fact, one reason I'm staying on with my column is I'm going to switch my focus exclusively now to those issues in a column called Golden State. Wow. Yeah, the idea comes from my mom. And um, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's there, we, we need to keep an eye on national and state policy around aging and healthcare equity and accessibility and all of that. Hmm. So you're not planning on leaving the country anytime soon or California either. I, I'm not, but I lived on the East Coast for many years and miss uh, Philadelphia where I lived for a while. And also another one of those fantasies I've had about what I would do if I did retire. My mother's family's from Italy. And I'm eligible for Italian citizenship. Wow. And my, fa- my father's family is from Spain. And I'm not certain, but I think I'm eligible for Spanish citizenship. And you ever see those stories about how deserted towns, say in Sicily, are offering homes for $1? <laughs> yes, I have seen that. And by the way, I've heard, I haven't been there. Spain is on my on my list of places I want to go. But... I've heard that Spain has a very similar, that some parts of Spain have a very similar weather pattern as yeah. uh, Southern California. So that's on my list of places to check out for sure. Yeah. You might, you, you think about wine and wine, where do you find wine? You find it in parts of Spain and France and Italy and California, partly because they share similar climates. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not against leaving the country if I can find a $1 house in Sicily. The problem with those $1 houses. You have to fix them up. <laughs> you do. You do. And the towns have been deserted, which is why they're available for $1. $1. So exactly. I'm not sure. If, yeah, sitting in, sitting on my porch in a deserted town in, um, in, in Italy waiting for a plumber to show up. What you have to do is you have to get a group of people who all want to do it together and make it kind of like a little commune thing from the 70s. And now then you're all talking about like that. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and that, if you get 10 people, then you're buying a house for 10 cents a piece. <laughs> or, or you could buy 10 houses is what I'm saying. So you build up the town. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. You, you have to uh, bring a group over with you and make sure one of them's a plumber because that's important. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I do hear that people who have tried that, they find out you can't get contractors, um, you can't get through City Hall to get the permits, and you end up uh, you end up wondering what the heck you were thinking. Yeah, absolutely. But even without, so I used to subscribe to a magazine called International Living. Have you heard of it? No. And that magazine is for Americans who are thinking about moving overseas because, uh, and they, they'll talk about, they, they have little American communities in a lot of different places and they'll talk about the pros and cons of moving to say Mexico, that's close to California or I don't know, name a country. Portugal. Yes. Portugal. So Portugal might be one, um, you know, Spain, they, they have all these different countries where they have forums 
And you can talk to Americans who have moved there and find out the pros and cons. And the main thing, though, I, I found in my research about Americans moving overseas is they expect everything to be like the United States. Everything is not like the United States. So you can't move somewhere and then say, well, why can't I get my whatever it is that I got in the States? Um, because not everything is is like here. You can't move somewhere to save money and then not assimilate. You have to try to assimilate into the culture. Right. And, you know, another thing that, that I think has been in the news about these places that Americans want to uh, settle in um, outside the country is that those countries don't necessarily want them. Uh, my paper, the L.A. Times, just had a story about what's happening in Mexico City, where so many people are moving there from the U.S., because it's less expensive, because it's a great city, and driving up prices and, um, you know, eating out and eating well, just living not like true citizens of the country, but as if they're on a long vacation and and changing the essence of the place in the process. I've heard that, you know, there's been some pushback in Portugal as well, which I think has become one of the most popular, oh, I'm getting out of here, I'm going to Portugal. Well, all right, but what are you going to do there? And does anybody really want you there? So I don't know. It's complicated. And it can be anywhere. I mean, I remember when people were saying they didn't want Californians moving to Texas. You know, so it's it's anywhere where people who have amassed a certain amount go to somewhere where it's not as much and change the landscape of the, yeah. of the place. Not assimilating is, is kind of what I'm saying, you know, not yeah, assimilating. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yep. And, and gentrifying as an outsider, yeah. That's true, yeah. Yeah, so many things to talk about and so little time. So what's your one piece of advice after all of your research that you can give to the listener? Uh, you know, I'm going to repeat something that I've already said because it's better advice than, um, than, I, than I was able to come up with. But I think about it often. I think about my book as a search for the meaning of life, uh, in a way, it was more a memoir, a memoir than a uh, than a roadmap on retirement, because everybody's situation is different. But I was forced in in working on this book to really examine who I am, and my relationship to work and to life, and what I want out of it. And I, I think the words that uh, that resonated most for me, and still echo, months after he told me this. I went to see Father Greg Boyle because I respect him and because he's been committed to a cause and because he's my age. We're almost exactly the same age. So, you know, we're, we're looking at life from, you know, the same spot on the, on the, uh, on the calendar. And, and I just will never forget his words that we're all on a quest and it's about going where life is, which of course is figuring out for yourself the meaning of life and further beyond that, do what replenishes you. And he has found it. And I'm always inspired by people who have found it. I, I don't know that I've completely found it. Um, I wrote a book several years ago about a man I found playing a, a two-string violin on the streets of downtown Los Angeles. He was missing the other two strings, and he was he was homeless and had all of his belongings in a shopping cart. And I, I learned in getting to know him that while studying at the Juilliard School for the Performing Arts, he had a breakdown, was diagnosed with schizophrenia, 
he'd been homeless for many, many years, but he had, and I, and I, first I really felt for him and what might've been. And then I realized, and it became an inspiration to me. He has got what we're all after. Yes. Through no fault of his own diagnosed with a horrible, relentless, relentless disease, but he's got what we're all after. And it's, it's never betrayed him and he's never betrayed it. 50 years later, he finds peace and joy and sanity in music. He plays music every day. He listens to music every day. Now that I'm playing the guitar, I'm able to play with him just a little bit. And when I do, I'm reminded of Father Greg saying to me, go where life is and do what replenishes you. That is excellent advice. Steve, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great fun. and. I hope you had fun, too. The pleasure's all mine. I did have fun, and I, I, I'm not kidding. I think we need to take the show on the road. Well, you might be able to talk me into that. Sounds Let's like fun. <laughs> right. For the listener, if we set that up, we will let you know. And Steve, before we say goodbye, tell me the name of your book again and where the listener can get it. Okay, the book is called Independence Day. What I learned about retirement from some who have done it and some who never will. And I'd recommend highly that you go to your neighborhood bookstore. And if they don't have it, they can order it. And if you must, then go to Amazon and it's available there. Easy enough to find. I hope you enjoy it. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for again for coming on the show. And for the listener, we'll see you next time on the Rock Your Retirement Show. Bye. Bye-bye, everybody. I got my guitar out.